With Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. Are you willing to step into your greatness? Are you ready to shine? Well, get ready, Truth Seeker. You're in for an amazing ride. And now, here's the host of the show, Christine Blasdale. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, motivational media coach, Christine Blasdale. And I want you to buckle up, Buttercups, because today we have a fantastic show. I think you're going to be motivated and inspired to take on life a little bit differently after you hear today's episode. My guest today is Amy Eliza Wong, and she is a, a she's a founder, speaker, executive leadership coach, and facilitator. And she's also the author of the brand new book, Living on Purpose, Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and Joy. And I couldn't think of a better person to come on the show than you, Amy. So welcome to Out of the Box with Christine. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I, you know what? When I, when I came across the work that you did, um, I actually saw some of the speaking engagements that you've done and some of the coaching that you've done. And I just really liked how you just cut through everything and you were so your communication style is so brilliant. And I thought for our wonderful entrepreneurs and solopreneurs who are out there who are listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts or watching this on YouTube, um, that they can also gain a little bit of your wisdom uh, by being on the show here and talking about, uh, about living life on purpose. We seem to, as human beings, we seem to sort of react to life. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's not a lot of, you know, <laughs> I am going to set out to do this and this is what I want to do. So, um, so yeah. let's talk about the, the title of the book. First of all, living on yeah. purpose, five yeah. deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy. What sparked you uh, to, 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 to write this book? Wow. Well, you're absolutely right about most of us are in react mode. <laughs> so that, that that was a large part and a large reason I wanted to to write this book. Now, my my practice that I founded in 2011, so it's been a little while, is called Always on Purpose. So this idea of being on purpose is really um, important to me. It's really near and dear to my heart. And it's really, it's a state of being, right? Because people tend to think of when I say always on purpose or living on purpose, purpose comes through oftentimes as a noun. And it's not that it's not. That is true. And, and purpose in that way absolutely enthralls me as well. But what I'm really going for more here is more that mindset and that state of being, of being on purpose, being intentional, being present, being in the driver's seat, harnessing choice in our most um, intentional and present way. And then from there, we're able to create the life and the work of our dreams. Now, the reason I wrote Living on Purpose was I have been coaching here now for more for a, than over a decade, and I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations from really folks from every every category and all walks of life, and I, feel, I feel so blessed. And I know like you, you're a coach, so I know you get it. It's We get a backstage pass to the inner workings of the human mind and the human condition, and what I noticed was, you know, regardless if you were, you know, just a college graduate interning into a company, if you were a single mom, if you're a 
lawyer, a doctor, if you're in drug and rehab, if you are a politician, if you're a celebrity, doesn't matter who you are and where you are on your journey of life, the ways in which we get in our own way <laughs> have started to seem a little universal. <laughs> so I thought, wow. And, and, and I really perked up to, gosh, there are some very clear themes in the ways in which we really hold ourselves back. And so, and then diving into the research behind it and the neuroscience and the psychology and the, all of it, I really started to, okay, there's, there's something good here. And it wasn't until I started coaching leaders and executives for startups and fortune 500 companies that, you know, it was wild to me. It's even, and, and this is what so many people don't recognize. Even when you make it quote unquote, make it, you still hold yourself back. You still have fears. You still have insecurities. And so it was really important to me to dispel this myth that when you finally get to this place where you either own your own company or you make a certain amount of money, or you got that title, you're free. Cause that's not true. It's this, there's all that stuff going on. And so that it was really clear to me, okay, there, there's, there's an incredibly relatable story here to tell and share and, and a way out. And so it had been 10 years of, of just working through this, knowing that at one day I will write this book and I'll, I'll just a teaser here. There was one scientific finding that I found that was discovered in 2000, around 2003, um, neuroscience wise that when I learned that when I was getting certified for conversational intelligence, it just, the entire book came together. The missing piece that I needed to finally nail this clicked. And I'm like, okay, now I know it. Now I know what this needs to be. Well, and that's, that's key, isn't it? Because we, it doesn't matter. And especially when for those people that are supposedly, you know, made it at the top, um, at, if they still also have those same triggers, those same like childhood issues, then it's even more stressful, I would think, because that whole idea of imposter syndrome, I've, I mean, I've, I've done so many shows on imposter syndrome mm. and, and, and it always, um, it, it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me on how many people, how many listeners will, you know, write me and say, oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a major owner of a, of a huge company and I still to this day have imposter syndrome. And again, is that, is that our subconscious mind? Um, even though on the outside, of, of course we want to be successful. Of course we want to have great relations. Of course, of course, you know, want to have a house and blah, 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 blah. But that subconscious mind is still listening to that maybe that bully that was on the playground that said something really hurtful to us. Yeah. That's yeah. how powerful it is, right? It's so powerful. In oh, words. Christine, I mean, you, you nailed it. It's so, it's so powerful and it becomes such a, such a pervasive lens and we don't even recognize that it's a lens, but it's there. And so, you know, I, there's so much to say about this and that's why I wrote the book because a huge piece of this book really is about freeing ourselves from imposter syndrome. But what I have found super helpful is really understanding why, why it's there from, from a, from a neurological, from a neuroscience and also psychological perspective. So let me, let me kind of take that teaser I mentioned earlier and take this farther. Cause I think this is so, so helpful and so fascinating. And, and I don't know why we're not teaching this in schools, mm -hmm. because when I share what I'm about to share, it's like, ugh, my entire life makes sense. Why aren't we sharing this? So check this out. Just as humans, you know, we're, we're pretty unique and 
as humans, when we're born, we're born survival brain dominant. I know you know this. Prefrontal cortex doesn't start developing till adolescence, not fully formed till our mid-20s. Fine. That's just how it goes. But something we're really not talking about, or what, like, what does this actually mean in terms of what's survival to the brain, right? Because when you're born as a human, you're born neurologically underdeveloped, and you're born in this totally infant, helpless body. So when you realize, okay, well, for a human, they're born hardwired to survive and totally, totally dependent on caregiver to survive. So when you add those and put those two facts together, now you have to ask, well, what does survival to the brain mean? Well, guess what? It, it's not food, water, shelter. Food, water, shelter will follow if mom or dad or caregiver buy in. So therefore, rejection is death to the brain. Yeah. And we, we, we talk about how rejection sucks. We talk about how we don't like it, but we're not really talking about what it really, really means from a neurobiological standpoint. So there's a wiring in us that's avoiding rejection. Like we avoid the plague. Mm. And in fact, rejection registers as physical pain in the brain. It registers in what's called the pain matrix. And that's why we talk about it in the way that we do. Like when we didn't get the job, oh God, I'm crushed. It hurts. Or remember your first heartbreak oh. in college? And you're mm. like, oh, oh my God, I'm going to die. I feel like I'm dying. Well, guess what? Your brain thought you were dying. It's rejection. And it's those feelings are painful. And so because our brain can't differentiate between tiger jumping out of a bush and colleague throwing you under the bus in a meeting, you know, to the brain, it's the same. And so it just, this is such an important piece to bring into the bigger picture of imposter syndrome, because at the end of the day, all of us conscious or not survival mechanisms or not, we're hardwired to seek belonging, acceptance and approval and avoid rejection. And what's rejection, judgment, humiliation, right? Um, all of those things. And this is why people are scared to speak in front of other people. This is why we're so afraid of negative judgment or criticism, right? And and we think, oh gosh, I'm being so unreasonable and so illogical. It's like, no, this is, this is what all of us humans are dealing with. And so if we really want to understand what the heck's going on with imposter syndrome and how to get over it, it's fundamental to understand that it is completely powered by this fear of rejection because it's that fear of rejection this is exactly why and when and where we form our for our false limiting beliefs right mm -hmm. because it's those experiences of significant rejection or not belonging those very momentous ones that we will imprint oh my gosh i gotta make sense wow and in, and we not... have experiences that keep confirming that or we yes. seek we yes. seek those things that confirm that because the ego also wants to be correct all the time. hundred <laughs> percent. That's right. You see, you are a loser. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I have found for a lot of clients and a lot of folks, just bringing this piece, this variable into the equation, it really is illuminating. Oh, that's why I decided I wasn't good enough. I took this decision on because that was a very my first perceived significant experience of rejection. Okay, yeah, but it's not true that I'm not good enough. Okay, okay. wait, yeah. but the, uh, yeah. So that's it's yeah, a lot and, of lot to say. And that mm -hmm. is a great starting point because if not, you're like a dog chasing its own tail. You know you know, trying to figure it out or, it, and, and we, we tend to like, you know, like, well, I got to work harder or I've got to, you know, I've got to take some course or, you know, uh, there's that thing of self-help, you know, the shelf help. <laughs> <laughs> I 
yeah. because and I was guilty of that too. And I was just getting and not the books that are on your shelf are shelf help. Like, <laughs> but I'm just saying is that you know we've all gone through that sort of the the time. I think it was for me it was like maybe in my 30s where I was seeking you know the answer. And yeah. what you say is is so true that that need to fit in that need to um to be wanted and to be a part of something is so critical. I also think that from our days on your <laughs> from our from our days of being in caves um and it was you know probably quite a you know we didn't have all the, the Netflix and chill and all that stuff. We were <laughs> you know we were running away from things that would eat us and we had to depend on the tribe, right? We had it to depend on the clan that was in this cave right. for everything. And yeah. if you think about how our brains became hardwired and it was we evolved, <laughs> we're, we're building <laughs> nuclear bombs. I don't know how much we've evolved, but we're, <laughs> how we've evolved, quote unquote, yeah, that's still there. So if you're at school and you go to the lunch table and nobody wants to sit with you, you feel like you're going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or a dinosaur is going to just chomp your head off. Mm -hmm. And it's real. It mm -hmm. feels real. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's a physical connection. It's not just what's going on in the mind. It's actual physical. Yes. And that's the power that we have. Yeah. So how do we, how do we, how do we help that that, that yeah. little baby who now is 50 year old, <laughs> right? Yeah. How do we help that person who is no longer in the cave or has to worry about that necessarily, yeah. but every single time they go out in life, you know, the stress that they're under, yeah. I mean, there's millions of people that are, that are walking around absolutely paranoid and, and, and frightened uh, of how they may look or how they might be perceived. What are mm -hmm. some things that you do with your clients to help them get through some of that? Well, gosh, I know. So, yeah, I'm like, this is such a big question. Yeah. Well, I think self-discovery is one of the self-inquiry, self-discovery, self-reflection are it's truly one of the most fundamental and powerful things that we can start to do to begin a path of transformation. And I say it's a path because there's really no end point. We're going to continue to unfold and evolve and to learn and to grow. And if we really want to take this head on, it's first recognizing, you know, I may have some wonky beliefs running on in the background. And how would I know? Well, because of the anxiety I feel on a regular basis, because of the paranoia I feel, because of the sleepless nights, because of the, you know, my, my workaholism, because of, you know, they're very, I mean, all of the unpleasant habits that we have taken on to numb, sedate, or control our reality, chances are it's due to the pain, uh, the pain inside that we are sustaining due to um, false limiting beliefs that we have imprinted in order to make sense of our reality. Because this stuff starts young. Here we are, we're young. We don't even have a prefrontal cortex. Stuff happens. Now, for a lot of us, it's benign and trivial. But to a child brain who can't differentiate fact from fiction or understand sarcasm or irony or understand the complexities of adult life, we will take that event and our brain literally translates that as, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm not being included. I'm going to die. Mom's not choosing me right now. She just dropped me off at daycare. I'm going to die. You know, and, and then unfortunately there are those very unfortunate cases where it's, it is malicious and it's, and it's not um, benign. However, 
in all of the times that we experience that pain of disconnection, what happens is then in those, in our, in our childhood, you, in that, in that mindset, we have to make sense of the pain so we can survive it. And the brain says, well, and I've got to make sense of it because I got to protect you from this forevermore because this is so painful. And oh my gosh, you know, you're, you were rejected here. This could happen again. And it really could be a big consequence. So I got to make sure this never happens again. So got to protect you. Okay. How do I protect you? Okay. Well, mm, can't be mom's fault. Can't be caregiver's fault because if it's your caregiver's fault, you're hosed. <laughs> so it can never be their fault. So that's not going to work. So can't be there. Must be your fault. <gasps> oh, you must be not good enough. Oh, so boom, we imprint a false negative belief in order to make sense of this. And that it's like, it's like taking on a pair of glasses. These are my not good enough glasses that I now look through out to the world so that I can protect myself from being found out is not good enough. Because if I get found out is not good enough, I'm going to get rejected and I'm going to die. So this is our way of protecting ourselves. But the, but the challenge with this and the, and the tragedy is the moment you put those glasses on to stay safe, now everything around you becomes proof for or against the fact that you're good enough. And so then you enter onto this hamster wheel and this, I call it the unwinnable quest in this conditional roller coaster where you're looking for all the proof. I got to go for this. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to try for this. And that's where we start to get that thinking of, well, if I can finally just get this final piece of proof, I'll be free. But it's in the needing of proof that we're constantly validating that it's there. So there's so much to say about this. But the last, oh, I'll, yeah. the last I'll say just to make this really live and, and helpful for folks is to get in touch with what that primary fundamental lens is that you may, these glasses that you're wearing, that you're wearing that you might not even realize you're wearing, is to answer this question from your survival brain. And you got to be really honest with yourself. So I'm going to ask this question and you got to let it come from your survival brain. Don't let your brilliant logical mind talk you out of it. Just listen for the survival answer. And the question is this, what are you most afraid other people would either find out or decide about you? What are you most afraid other people would either find out or decide about you? So you let that sit and let an answer come. Maybe there's a hand, maybe there's a handful of things that come and that's fine. But that right there, whatever you answer with is a hundred percent what you believe about yourself that you're worried about it getting found out. Otherwise, mm. why'd you say it? And that's the, that's my backdoor way into finding what's that false limiting belief you imprinted that your conscious mind does not want to take a look at because it's oh, just that's so good. That is, that is so good. And it is, it is something that so many of us will go through our whole lives with those glasses on yes. and also seeing every single situation as, a, as, as confirmation of whatever that limiting uh, belief is. And what we were saying was too, that was really important. And you said this earlier about the, about the development of the brain that when we're, when we're babies, you know, and then as we, as we age, I know the most important years are like from zero to seven or something like that, or zero to eight. And listen, your whole high whole childhood <laughs> is, is absolutely critical and important. And yeah. this is something that I wish was taught in school as well that because let's let's face it most people not everybody's going to have kids but most people going through the educational system will probably 
procreate at some point in their life. And this is something that instead of, you know, maybe some of these courses that they teach, first of all, let's teach them kindness, you know, let's teach them, let's teach them respect for themselves and others, because that ain't being taught, but also that, that what they do and say and feel has a ripple effect. Mm. And so, you know, the words that we use with each other and especially with our children, with our babies that come into the world Mm -hmm. and the, the presence or the lack thereof, how that can impact. Because if we don't do it at the beginning of a child's life, we're not going to change anything. It's just going to repeat. We're going to have more adults that, you know, that are hurt little babies that are going around hurting other babies, you know, hurting other people, hurt people, hurt people. And so I wish this was something that was taught. I think your next book is going to have to be also for uh, tweens, you know, teenagers, oh, young people. Okay? I'm feeling it. Oh, I'm yeah, feeling I already, it. Christine. I had that. Intu- <laughs> I'm, I'm intuitive. I don't go, I'm not a psychic. Um, oh. And even with my coaching, I don't market myself as an intuitive. But when I get a drop on something, when you get a hit, I, I'm with you. Yep. I got I'm the goosebumps. <laughs> when the goosebumps happen, it's real. It's and on. When, and as soon as you were, as soon as you started talking, I saw the, living on purpose for teens. Book. Wow. Just saying. Wow. Okay. Hey, saying. I'll take it. I'll we'll take have you it back on the show so when aligned. you, when you <laughs> publish that so book aligned. as well. Yeah. Thank that you. is so, that is so, um, so vitally important. Mm-hmm. And then also look at the pressure that our kids have now. It's, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like my grandmother, you know, it's like when I was a kid, you know, da, da, da. but when I was a kid, we didn't have this. Yeah. We didn't have 24 yeah. hour a day, 365 oh. days of the year of social media yeah first of all telling us who we should be right right mm. this is who you should be this is who you should be but then we have that thing of the you know if 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 somebody if somebody says something you post a picture of yourself or something like that and they say something cruel about it that can then go viral yeah and we didn't have that back in my day. No, you know, know, you had to worry about the school bully between eight and three o'clock. That was it. <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. And hope you got home okay. But then yeah. after that, you were safe. Yeah. And so that's right. So for our kids today, um, we really need to, we really need to help them out. And I again still think we should start earlier. Oh, I you know you just you, it makes my nose tingle as you talk about this. It's something I am so passionate about and it's so it's so important it's so important it's i mean we could we could talk we could take this in the direction of social media we could take this in the direction of 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 childhood development i mean everything that you're talking about here is gold and in what what i think about is you know what kind of consciousness do we need to maintain and teach and hold for our youth for ourselves and our youth to really to, to really usher us into a healthy humanity. We're not, we're not there and we're not, we're not, in the, we're not on the right path at the moment. And it's, it's very concerning. And in fact, so I have two children, I have a 14 year old and a 10 year old, and both are just, just amazingly wise and old souls. And my 14 year old, he came in so toned in, tapped in. He was like, 
channeling. He was talking to spirits. He completely denies it today. He yeah. has shut yeah. that off, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's become so nihilistic in this generation. He's like, why even try? I don't even know why we're recycling. We're not even going to be around in a couple more generations. So I don't even know why we're trying. And then my 10 year old is the social justice advocate. And I mean, every other week is creating new posters for their room, like save the sea otters, say, you know, get, pride, you know, all, all identities matter. I mean, just constantly so eager. And it, I just feel like with our youth, it's it, there. Oh gosh. Oh, just gosh. Yeah. <laughs> know, just, yeah. yeah. I know. I have two teenagers as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, but it, it has to start early. And also, you know, it's, it's, I want to say, you know, people, you need to grow up. And I'm not talking about people like carrying on the pain and the trauma and things like that. I'm talking about those people who do have children and who don't think before they speak or who say horrific things. Listen, if you split up, mm. if you split up, that's life. My, uh, I'm a child of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was two. But when you, if you realize that that child identifies with both the mommy and the daddy or the mommy and the mommy or the daddy and the daddy, they identify with both parents. Even if one is a son of a gun and all kinds of stuff like that, right? So if you do split because you've grown apart or whatever happens, make sure that that child does not feel the impact of your hatred for the other person or your disappointment for the other person, all of those things. Because when you sit around and you talk badly about that other parent, the child thinks, even though I know you're an adult and your mind says, of course not you, it's not you, you I love you, you're my baby. Mm -hmm. No, but the child realizes that they are a combination of the two of you. So there will be some self killing inside, you know, self mm. it'll, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be soul crushing and yeah. they may put on a happy face because we are very resilient as children, but yeah. it is damaging. And, um, you know, I, uh, yeah. reflecting on, um, there's, um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Julia Loggins, who was married to Kenny Loggins, the m musician and singer. And, you know, when they split, as as you do when they split up um of course it was difficult because you know he's in the public eye and everything but when they split up they made sure that they were still parents and a family to the kids and that one was not going to belittle the other one and to this day they still they actually get together for christmases and things like that they're just not married anymore and they have their own partners and everything but they don't have that hatred mm, mm. right it's not the war of the roses yeah because yeah. they know that those children and, the, and their children are great are amazing the kids are like oh i mean because they've seen healthy relationships yeah and how you and end and how you end a marriage and how you end a relationship and how you or how you change it to something mm, else mm. Right. You know, it, it, it's to me, this is what is living on purpose. It's being very intentional about what we're creating in our lives and very much recognizing, very mindful of the impact we're having, our choices, our words, our decisions, the impact that each of these things have for the goodness of all. And that 
I mean, that's, yes, it's so important, you know, and speaking to this whole thing about what we say, the impact we have, what we forget often is that our words really do create our reality. Our words create our world. And whether that's our internal dialogue, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure all of us can can put ourselves, run, run ourselves to the ringer with our internal inner, inner dialogue. But that right there is a huge bit of how we create our reality, but then the words that we say to others. And if we really want to make the world a better place, something I live by, I teach my clients to do is always intend that your intention and your impact are congruent. Because here's the thing, everybody shows up with a good intention. Nobody wakes up saying, oh, I want to be evil today and really stick it to so-and-so. I mean, I think it's going to be rare. We always, we really do have a good intention and we want to do good and be good and be of service. It's just that we lack awareness of our impact. And we're definitely often not checking that our, in, our impact matches our intention. So one of the most important, one of those powerful things we can do is really just keep this, keep this in mind. Do they match? Do they match? Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love I love intention because that is, well, for 20 years in radio, nobody saw my face, you know, I, <laughs> I could have ordered my pajamas in the studio. Um, but through the art of, of audio. And so it's just like closing your eyes and listening to someone, they were able to feel me. Mm. So they weren't able to see me. They could hear me, but they could feel me. And there's something actually very profound about not not seeing someone and actually f feeling them because you're not judging them based on, Oh, why did she wear that shirt today? She's got funny glasses. You know, uh, why is her hair so short? Whatever. What's that tattoo? No, <laughs> you, when you can't see someone, you just are listening and you're feeling their voice. You're listening to that pause. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, that was one thing that you're feeling their presence. A program director yeah. hated the pauses though. <laughs> Dramatic pauses. <laughs> they come running in. What happened? Did air? Uh, no. Oh, Christine's just having a moment. Okay. That's all right. <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, but yeah, yes. It's the intention. Yeah. Um, and we need to also in our day-to-day -day, uh, judgments that we have is, is to also think about the intention of others hmm. instead of being slighted and, and going back to that that brain of being rejected mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's why so many divorce that's why so many breakups become so toxic and mm. i mean well violent and, you know and violent. violent violent and you know when it really comes down to it it's people find so much safety in their rightness and it's really a batter, battle of being right over being harmonious. It's like, it's, and, and, and it's not that we're, we are intentionally choosing. I'd rather be right than talk, you know, than, than in harmony. It's just that it happens because we get so bought into our point of view. If you just saw it my way, all would be well. And so we do everything we can to get somebody else on our side. And really it's just a matter of rightness. Rightness, 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 and an unwillingness to see another story, another side, an unwillingness to be open to influence. And so it's, it's, um, it's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, there's a lot. And I feel like 
There's there's a lot right now. We're all being tested. <laughs> there's so much going on in the world. And then we just had two years or two and a half years of yeah. spring pressure <laughs> right. on top of it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? I would love to, I would love to be able to give people the gift that I guess I've developed and my, and it's just been from years and years of feeling I was extremely shy as a child. I was, I was scared of people. I really was. I was very, very shy as a kid. And I don't, I don't know when I kind of broke out of that, but um, I, because a lot of people too, they, they come, they, they'll tell me, they go, you are so confident and I'm not, I'm not arrogant or the, yeah. uh, you know, uh, think that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread at all. But they say, you just, I wish I could be like you because you're so confident. You can go, you can go out anywhere and talk to anybody. My mom used to say to you, you can talk to anybody. Um, and I think it's because I, it's not that I don't care that mm -hmm. what people think of me. Mm -hmm. It's just that I know that I'm a, I'm a good person. Yeah. And so I, I don't have anything to hide, yes. <laughs> so to yes. speak. And yes. so when I go out, I don't, I don't worry about people judging me. Um, when I came out, my mom was worried about my safety when I, you know, many years ago. And I said, but, but I said, no, nobody's going to want to hurt me because I'm a good person. And I, and I like people on the, for the most part, I like, I like people. And so I never had that thing of really um, worrying about what other people thought mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because, and again, not because there's an arrogance or I'm the greatest thing. It's just going out into the world and, and being like a child. Mm, 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 being like mm. the child that is oh excited to see people and to experience things right yeah not yeah. in the way of well, I wonder how they're going to judge me or I shouldn't do this or I should should I wear right. this should I you know that type of thing yeah and if I could gift that to as many people as possible I would yeah. do it in a heartbeat oh amen and, you know, it's, this is such a big focus in my book, Living on Purpose, and such a big, this right here is, is I mean, this is the biggest topic I coach on with folks. And a couple things I would love to offer, share, just like you, Christine, I was so shocked growing up. I, I couldn't even ask our server for a napkin. I couldn't pick up the phone. I mean, I was debilitated. And it's funny because my parents laughed like, that is hilarious because now you speak in front of all these people, you get, and it's no, it's no problem. And I think I, I've reflected on this and here's, here's what shifted in my case. And maybe this you'll, it'll ring true for you is the moment I realized what it was that I stood for in terms of, Oh, I'm standing for making the world a better place. Oh, I've got something that will absolutely help. I am standing for helping. I'm standing for empowering. And it wasn't because it, it was a, it was an intellectual thing. It came from my heart and it started with teachings, teaching math. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait, there's something way bigger than me. I'm here having to, like, I'm, I'm trying to do. And it just followed that I, I was just speaking in front of lots of people. And it was not, well, that wasn't even hard. And the reason was because the spotlight wasn't on me. I wasn't putting the spotlight on me, looking good, proving myself. Do I look okay? Am I avoiding judgment? It was like, no, 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 there's 
forget me. Like I've got something bigger here. And the more and more that I stepped into that, it just naturally became now everyone thinks I'm the biggest extrovert in the world. And I have, I've always been like this, but just like you, that's, that was not the case. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> was not the case. When we go on holiday, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> like, just let me go in the pool and swim. <laughs> uh, well, and it's interesting too, because of that energy uh, that we, that we push out right and and um and the intention um you're right it's not about you it's about the message it's about right. people connecting to that message about you either inspiring people motivating people entertaining people right. educating them whatever right yeah but when you um when i'm around a lot of people like i can talk for days on on radio and podcasts and go in front of uh, an audience, a live, I love live audiences. I've missed mm -hmm. that for a long time. Love that. But what happens is that I'll get to a certain point where I can't people anymore. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I go, mm, I just need to recharge my batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and not have to, not have to even communicate because you're always communicating, mm -hmm. not just when you're opening your mouth and words are coming out, but you're communicating all the time with your thoughts, with your heart, all of that. Yeah. And let's talk about, cause, and I, and I know we got to wrap up soon, but can we talk, let's talk a little bit more about the words that we use, the things that we say yeah. um, to ourselves and the things that we say out into the world, because there's a reason why they, why it's called spelling, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the connection of letters and the words yeah, uh, just in that order, yeah, a power, and there is an oh. energy, um, yeah. and and that's and there's no that's why they say abracadabra or whatever they say, right? <sighs> the, but but the power of the power of prayer, the power of the things that we say to ourselves and to others. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those Let's about the words that we use, um, and how yeah. powerful they are. Oh, I what a great. Yes. What a great conversation. You know what I'll do? And I'm going to connect it to something you were talking about, confidence and something you said, which was so powerful, which was, well, I know I'm a good person. Now, what I want to pull out here relative to what we're talking about, the words that we use to create our world is the word, no, I know I'm a good person. Now, why am I focusing on no? Well, there's something so powerful with this word. When we choose to know something, we are claiming this usually irregardless of the evidence, which essentially means I'm choosing this regardless of the conditions around me that might tell me otherwise, which is in direct opposition with the word believe. Because mm -hmm. if I say, I believe I'm a good person, I need proof to validate that I'm a good person. And so if I need proof to validate that I'm a good person, well, guess what? I got those glasses on. Now, guess what? Everything looks like evidence. So everything's either threatening or validating. And that is not freedom. That is not freedom and that is not confidence. So if we genuinely want to live in, into a confident mindset, if we want to be confident authentically from the inside out, we have to claim, we have to choose to know that we are whole and complete, worthy, deserving, and enough. We can even go so far as to say, I know I'm a good person. But whatever we follow up with, I know this, we are free ourselves from needing to prove it. And therefore, we are naturally confident because it's the need to prove and therefore the need to disprove to uphold a belief in and of itself is what keeps us from being confident. So that right there is the power of words. Just noticing how often and what, what you choose to know, what you choose to believe. 
and what you claim to know. And guess what? And here's the best part about knowing. You just choose it because that's the whole thing about knowing. I know this. I know this. I know I'm whole. I know I'm complete. And the moment you choose to know that, it's a game changer. So that right there, we could talk about how, you know, we really unlock the ability to thrive. Ooh, that's just good, we that. can go on from there. We can go down the <laughs> rabbit hole. Because when you know that you're complete, and even though you're always changing and morphing and growing, right? Because you're never stagnant, right? Yeah. But when you know you're complete, there is no stress about, there's no, there's not a, there's no stress about how you look, how you're aging, what your weight is, um, right. where you live, right. what kind of car you drive. Right? Because it's just stuff. And here's the thing. Exactly. Are you familiar? Just get you somewhere. Just... I know it's, it's just stuff. It's not evidence. It's not proof. It's just information. It's data. It's stuff. Are you familiar with Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck's um, no. mindset framework, no. fixed mindset versus growth mindset? Oh, it's, it's so powerful as a parent, as a teacher, definitely. Oh, we could what, do part two on this. Again? Carol who? Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. She's done some TED talks too about mindset, growth mindset, and fixed mindset. It's so powerful. And particularly as a parent, like how we can help help our children really hold a growth mindset, which really is about exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. How can I let stuff be stuff and not evidence that I'm not good enough? Mm. A fixed mindset says, well, who am I? Oh, I'm fixed. I'm good at math. I don't, I'm not good at singing. And we get fixed in these traits. And therefore, if we're fixed in these traits, then when we go forth in the world, if we don't succeed, then it's just evidence that we're not good enough. Right. And so yeah. these two mindsets are there. It's either one or the other. And I just mentioned this because what you're talking about, when you know you're complete, you could just, it doesn't matter. And that's right. That's a growth mindset. That's freeing right there. That's why we want to sprinkle that all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If yes. we could let's sprinkle that. Well, we are in many ways because this broadcast you never know who's listening. And if you are listening or you're watching it on YouTube, um, I always say there's no accident. You're supposed to have stumbled across this, uh, stumbled. <laughs> you were you were supposed to have heard this. And so yeah. um, I just- It was on purpose. <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> that was very good. Oh, I wanna just, I, 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 we could, I could talk to you forever. Please, oh. um, you're welcome to come back on the show at any time. Um, and especially when you write your teenage book, uh, your teenager, your teens book, tweens, teens, whatever. Um, yes. Definitely do that. And I, I got a super green light on that. Um, I hope that you do pursue that. Oh, you thank you. A hundred percent. I appreciate that. And if people want to find out more, um, they can go to your website, right? That's right. Alwaysonpurpose.com. Alwaysonpurpose.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And we'll also have a link in the show notes uh, for people to get the book, Living on That's Purpose. Right. And I understand um, it's it's available as a uh, audiobook. Audiobook and mm -hmm. uh, ebook, audiobook, hardcover. Yeah. And I got to narrate the book, which was super fun. So thank you. I'm you. so glad because. <laughs> Anyway, thank you again so much. I really It's really been a pleasure. Thank um, you for having me. My guest today has been Amy Eliza Wong. Uh, you can find out more information by going to her website, alwaysonpurpose.com. Get the book, Living on Purpose. And uh, if you want more information about this show, you can go to outoftheboxwithchristine.com. If you want more 
it's been a it's been an interesting morning <laughs> for more information on me you can go to christineblasdale.com and remember to share this uh the video if you're watching it on youtube or share the audio link if you're on apple or spotify until next time as i always say remember to think outside that damn box bye for now